Well, hey, welcome to Voice. Uh, it's so good to be back. It's so good to be back. Uh, what I love about uh, this morning, uh, a lot of things, but once a month we do, or we, I have no part of it, but Joe and the team do a more stripped-down acoustic uh, set, and it's it's. It's awesome. It's awesome. Without all the, the full band, I love the full band, but once a month it's just so nice to have a change of pace. So thank you, Joe and the team, for putting that together. Um, also, I want to—I know Natalie talked about this, but man, it'd be so good to see you guys tonight at the Woodbridge uh, Lagoon at the Beach Club. Uh, it's, it'd be so good to see you guys because so many times at Sunday morning, it's, um, it's, we, we come in and out fast. You know what I mean? And so uh, there, there's no agenda. We're going to do baptisms at some point, but there's not like at 6.52, we're going to do this. And it's just we're going to hang. Come and go as you want. Uh, at some point, we'll do baptisms. Uh, but we just want to get to know you and hang out, learn stories. And it's really hard to, to build relationships with people if you don't know their name, if you don't know their story. Right, and so uh, we want to do that tonight. So please prioritize that. Come on out if you're watching online. Even if you're watching online, you've never been to church before. Uh, come tonight. All right, uh, it's gonna be a good time. So hey, want to also before we hop into teaching, just want to say thank you uh, for giving Natalie and I and the family uh, last month to rest and recharge. To every volunteer who's continued to serve faithfully, uh, thank you for that. For every leader who continued to pour uh, so faithfully into people in their small groups on your serving teams, uh, thank you for that. To the staff, to to Joe, Aiden. Madison. Thank you for being faithful and providing stability. Uh, thank you to the elders who not only keep us accountable in a lot of areas, but make sure that uh, keep us accountable in our health and our emotional health and our spiritual uh, mental health. And so uh, they really pushed us to uh, try to take as much of a sabbatical as we could uh, this past July. Uh, we've kind of taken one every July, but not really. Uh, like a few days out of the month. And so last month was really the, the closest we've had to a true July. Uh, so uh, super thankful for the elders for that. And then to Raphael. Raphael's watching online because he's a teacher and he's getting ready for this week. And it's crazy. Those of you guys that are teachers, I mean, my gosh, this is like you're in the red zone at this point. So uh, praying for you guys, but a special thank you to Raphael who took point on the church uh, and led us. Uh, and yeah, Took a lot of arrows. It was awesome. So uh, when I was uh, on uh, break, I was having, after I had a chance to relax, and it took me a while to do that. You know, one of the ancient thinkers would talk about this idea of Sabbath and sabbatical, and they would, one of the ways they would liken it to is it's slowing down enough for your soul to catch up. And sometimes we move faster than, and you ever feel like you, you're getting all this stuff done, but at some point you kind of what are you doing? Like, you feel like you're on a treadmill, you're doing all, you're at those days where you, 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 you hustle and you grind and you get all this stuff, and you, you're like, going, I know I was busy all day, I know I was busy all week, but what did I actually do? What did I actually accomplish? Who am I actually becoming? And all these questions, and so Sabbath once a week is a time for your soul to catch up, and, I, and for, for me, it took me, gosh, probably a week uh, for my soul to catch up. I feel like. And when that finally happened, uh, I started to have all these uh, questions in my head about, uh, you know, what are we doing? Like, what are we doing? What are we actually trying to accomplish as a church? And the big question was, what are we trying to do? Like, what are we trying to do? Like, really? Because I don't think it's, it, it, it would be uh, motivating for any of us to go, man, our goal as Voice Church is to do really cool services. You know what I mean? So what are we trying to accomplish? An old way of saying it, if you, like, business 101 is, what is your business, and by that standard, how is business? 
right? What is your business by understanding how it is with? For us as a church, what are we trying to accomplish? Like, honestly, what are we trying to accomplish? It's easy. You know, my background, some of you guys are new to church. Uh, my background is uh, for over two decades, I served in a, a very large mega church. And that's all I've ever known until we planted uh, this church a few years ago. And so uh, I've just known big Christmas services, and every service was, we called it Super Bowl Sunday. Every Sunday is Super Bowl, and all these amazing amount of lights and fog and petting zoos and, you know, you know Hollywood stars coming in and sports athletes coming in, and all, that's all I've ever, ever known. And so there's this tension inside of me, and it's a pressure that none of you guys have ever put on me. It's a pressure none of the elders do. It's... Uh, none of my friends have ever put this pressure on me. There's a pressure internally in me, and it's probably something broken in me, but it, it's easy for me to, to make it a goal to have the slickest service with the coolest people, right? To create buzz and hype around this idea of voice church. But that's not what we're really trying to do, is it? As I thought about hopping back into and leading the church, especially the last couple weeks of, of sabbatical, it was wild how... The, your thoughts are almost like a river, right? And you're, and you're seeing stuff flow. And some thoughts I had were extremely in, in, exciting, encouraging, and fueling, and I couldn't wait to get back in and lead the church because I was excited about X, Y, Z. And there's some other things that, man, if I was honest, and when they popped in my head, they actually gave me a little stress, gave me a little anxiety. Like, I'm like, Ugh. like I'm sure the same parts of your job too, right? Whatever you do, there's some things that you're excited about going back to work, and there's some things that you're like, I could do without that, right? And so what I thought, so when I started to think about what I was thinking about, started to realize that there's kind of two main buckets of thoughts. One are these, the thoughts of, man, this is, I think, what God created me to do. I think this is what God designed me to do. This is what fuels me. I can't wait to do these things. And then there's this other bucket of things that just gave me stress and anxiety, and I'm like, what is all of this? And so I wanted to highlight some of those things for you to kind of give you a glimpse into my head and heart, maybe what God is doing in my head. Here are some things uh, that gave me anxiety uh, this past, uh, you know, especially the last few weeks. Uh, the first one was, what are we doing for Christmas? Which is kind of a weird thing. If you guys have never been in Christian or church leadership, you're like, going, what? And any of you guys that have spent any time in church leadership, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You start thinking about the Christmas service the week after the last Christmas service, right? And, it's, and especially the world I led in before, it was like, dude, are we going to get angels ziplining across the room? Are we like, like what, are we, what crazy thing, what, what star are we going to bring in? It was all about how are we going to make this amazing, you know, rendition of O Holy Night or whatever uh, the thing is, right? next thing that gave me stress was how do we improve our online stream? Those of you guys are watching online, sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not as good, right? Uh, but how do we improve our online stream? And was, every time I thought about that, I'm like, oh, it gives me a little stress because, like, how do we make our stream sound like the Grammys? Well, you need three trailers of equipment and all this staff to make it sound like that, and we don't have that. And so do we have all this production room and, and have, you know, create a better online stream gives me stress. How do we create a, a five-star guest experience, right? How do we have when people walk in, they're like, oh, man, the flooring, the countertops. Man, I feel like I'm in the JW Marriott. Man, they came in, and everybody, they have, they have boba machines out front, and everyone has custom espresso. I mean, all this, it's this five-star guest experience. I feel like a rock star when I come to Voice Church. How do we create that? How do we have a children's ministry that's exciting, that's, that's as exciting as the mega church down the street, man? How do we 
you know, have like uh, petting zoos out front and a thousand gallon aquariums in, in the lobby and and, and, you know, how do, we, how do we do all that stuff? Last one is how do we create engaging, excellent, high-production worship services, right, where you feel like you're at a, like a Jesus concert every Sunday where it's just so the best of the best of the best. Now, here's the thing. None of those things are inherently bad. I actually think they're all awesome, right? And we'll continue to put resources towards those things and give energy towards those things, but they're not the ultimate, right? Like, we, we, we know that because when I, one day we'll all see Jesus face to face. Like, we, we know the, the stats are that 10 out of 10 people die. And then when, when, we, when we go to see Jesus face to face, he's not going to be like, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's talk about them countertops. Dude, when you had, what you did for O Holy Night, that one, we were talking about it all day in heaven, man. It was so good. The angels paratrooping from the ceiling. It was just uh, amazing. I don't know how, your online stream, how you mixed the vocals for online stream, the camera cuts were just so sweet. Well done. Good and faithful servant, right? He's not going to have those questions. He'll have different questions. And when I started to think about what excites me, what I actually wanted to spend my time doing, what I couldn't wait to fill my days with, they were totally different. And some of these actually are, were surprising to me the more I thought about what I was thinking about because this necessarily wasn't me 10 years ago. I was actually more excited about the first list 10 years ago. But now I think as my faith is evolving, as I, th- I think about what I want my mark to be, what I want our church to be about, it's kind of shifting. I think God is kind of shifting my heart. The first one is study God's word. That's what I, I, I really want to do. And I know pastors are supposed to do that, but you'd be surprised at how many pastors don't like to do that. So uh, I, can't, I can't wait to, st- I, I look forward to studying God's word and studying scholarly works by ancient thinkers as well as current writers. Second thing is I can't wait to prepare teachings that build the faith of Christ followers, but also introduce uh, people to Jesus that are far from faith or new to faith. Get really excited about that. Uh, we, we hope that in the teachings, one of the things that we try to do when the teachings are on here at Voice is to have layers to it, almost like, like a Pixar movie, that there's jokes that hit the parents differently than the jokes that hit the kids, right? And you, you watch them over and over again, and they almost like the movies are different depending on the phase of life you're in. We want that. Sometimes we go to church, and if you are new to faith or, or maybe you've never grew up in church, you can kind of leave feeling stupid. You ever feel like that? Because they're like, everyone, go to John chapter 5, and everyone's like, boom. You're like, wait, John, where's the index? I don't know, right? And you kind of feel dumb because everyone's like, oh, you know that one story? And everyone's like, yeah, I know that story. And you're like, I don't know. I don't know that story. What are you talking about, right? So how do we have layers so that those that are new to faith uh, don't feel dumb? They feel like they can have handles on this thing, but also those that are veterans in the faith can grow and be challenged, right? Uh, third one is meet with people to pray and study and discern what God is doing in their lives. I'm super stoked about that more than ever. Of just realizing that, that God's engagement with people is highly contextual, as we're going to see actually in the teaching today. That God is doing something unique in your life in this season. That God wants to say something to you and lead you in a way that's not formulaic. Like some people, I see some people get so frustrated because they're like, man, I remember when I was first became a Christian 15 years ago, my faith felt like this and looked like this. I'm like, yeah, but that's not you today, is it? And that's not a bad thing. You're a different person. You're experiencing different things. God needs to provide and, and engage with you in different ways today in the same way that you engage with your two-year-old differently than you engage with your college kid, right? Different engagement. So meet with people and, and discern, what is God saying to you? And what are you going to do with that? Like, are you willing to do that? If not, why, right? 
So meet with people about that last one is to encourage people to live a life worthy of the calling God's placed on them. That's my biggest calling. That's what I want to do is go, when God's put a calling on your life, what are you going to do about it? What are you going to do about it? Are you actually going to do it? Or are you just going to sing songs about it? Are you going to do it? Are you just going to have Bible studies about it? Like, are you just going to do it? Are you going to do what God's asked you to do? Or are you just going to think about it and pray about it some more? Right? So back to the question, what are we trying to accomplish? And as you try to boil this down, this is not like the cleanest sentence, but this is kind of how the best I could boil it down for this morning. It's just this. Here's what I think we're trying to do. We're a group of people. We're a group of imperfect people that are doing our best to follow Jesus. Let me break that down. We're, we're a group of imperfect people. That means we're not arrogant. We're not cocky. We're not condescending. We realize our imperfection. We realize that all of us are broken. All of us have history. All of us need the grace of God. All of us are, need a Savior, right? So all of us are imperfect people. And so if you feel like you're broken and you're imperfect and you feel like you've messed up and you feel like you, you, know, you need the grace of God because there's no way that you can approach God otherwise, then you're in good company. You're in the right place, but we're a bunch of imperfect people. It's really easy to give other people grace when you realize how much grace you need, right? So we get, we're a group of imperfect people that are doing our best. We're not going to be perfect. We're going to do our darndest to try to follow Jesus. Now, that sounds like it's a real simple thing, but man, what that means, following Jesus, means I'm not following me. I'm not following what I want, and I'm not following what you want. You may say, hey, Taka, I think the church should do X, Y, Z. Noted. Let's pray about it. I don't know if that's what God wants us to do. Maybe, but that are doing us to follow Jesus. We're not following a political party. We're not following a, a politician. We're not following even a country. I'm a patriot, man. I love our country. There's no other place I'd rather live. As a, as a son of immigrants, there's no other place in the world I would rather live than America. But do you know what? I am more interested in building the kingdom of God. Right? So, we're doing our best to follow Jesus, to live like he would. That's the big thing, right? WWJD, the old school bracelets, right? What would Jesus do if Jesus were you? Do that. Right? Do we our best to follow Jesus, to live like he would, and then to introduce others to him? This is what we're about as a church. It's simple. Take the lights away. Take the services away. Take all the church stuff away. Take our cool burgundy carpet away, right? We're actually we're in final plans to get rid of this. We'll deliver them to your house. Just send us your, your address. We'll send you some carpet. Um, or take all of it. So, but take away the lights, the services, all the stuff of church. And what do you have left? This. This is what we're trying to do. This is what we're trying to accomplish as a church. And if that's something you want to be a part of, then you're in the right place. All right? So, hey, with that, um, we're going to talk about two stories. We're going to kind of do a flyover on these two stories. And there's so much that I wanted to unpack in these that we just don't have time to unpack. Uh, or else we'd be here all day, and that's not a win for anybody. And if you want to go verse by verse, go through a year and a half of the church, we went through the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and we went verse by verse. We didn't skip one verse, and it got awkward at times, okay? So if you really want a verse by verse study, just, I think it's almost two years, actually, of our church history, just stream online or Facebook or our podcast or whatever, and you can go verse by verse. We're going to skip around a little bit uh, just for the sake of time. We're going to talk about two people, two people that Jesus met and how we engage with them and kind of how we can relate to them. The first one was a church leader. first one was a church leader, and the second one was kind of an ex-church attendee. All right, so the first one, a church leader, his name was Nicodemus. You guys ever heard of Nicodemus, right? Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a teacher and ruler of the Jews. So as a Pharisee, he was extremely patriotic. He was extremely traditional. He was extremely religious, right? 
So that's what, kind of what a Pharisee would be. He was extremely patriotic, extremely traditional, extremely religious. He was also a ruler. He was part of what's called the Sanhedrin. Just Google Sanhedrin, look up the Wikipedia. What you'll find out is they were an extremely powerful group. The Sanhedrin, rather, I think it's 23 or 71 individuals, depending on the circumstances of what they had to do. They had a small, uh, like a lower and then a, a, an upper uh, member of the Sanhedrin. But they were a powerful group. They were a mix between like the Senate and the Supreme Court. They're the only ones that could actually try the king. It's interesting, right? So he was a member of that. So he's a leader both in the church and he's a leader in the uh, government structure. Right? So let's read about him. It's John chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Um, if I was smart, I probably would have used a bookmark. Okay. Uh, John chapter 3. Uh, if you're new to the church, uh, new to, to faith, kind of look in the beginning of the New Testament, and then it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So fourth book, uh, John. And so John chapter 3, uh, it says this. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, Sanhedrin, right? He came to Jesus at night. Came to Jesus at night. This is interesting. The reason why Nicodemus had to come at night was because he was part of this stuff during the day. He couldn't, the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin had aligned themselves against Jesus. And so he couldn't come to Jesus during the day because it would look really bad. But he was so intrigued by Jesus. There was something that drew him to Jesus, even though he checked all the boxes, both in the church and in the government, there's something more that he wanted. And so he snuck out and found Jesus at night. And he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God was not with them. Superstar, so, you know, with a, a little encouragement. And if you're Jesus, you would go, cool, thank you. How can I help you? Like, this would be like a normal response. If, if someone came up to me and said, Taka, you know, thank you for your teaching or whatever. Thank you for your leadership. Um, I believe what you're saying is from God. I would respond with something that you would expect. Thank you. Awesome. How can I help? You know, what can I, what can I do for you? Jesus responds in a really weird way. He says this, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. What? What kind of a verse? How, how would you feel if we met for the first time this morning and I told you that? as a response to you saying, I'm, I'm so happy I found Voice Church. It's like, verily I tell you, no one can be, you know, see the kingdom of heaven unless you are born again. Cool. Uh, what time does youth meet next Wednesday? <laughs> you know, it's like, it's kind of a weird way to respond. When you look at the word that, that is, is, is probably in your Bibles is translated as again, born again, it can also be translated as from above, right? From above. And some of your translations may actually say from above. So Nicodemus responds back. So to say it again, Jesus said, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again or born from above. Okay, verse four, Nicodemus responds, how can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked, valid question. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. I remember years ago, I went to Pristina in Kosovo right after the war, and I was uh, doing some ministry with some Muslim uh, college-age uh, students who were interested in the gospel. And so uh, we were doing this thing called Alpha, if you guys ever heard of Alpha. So we were talking about that, and I was talking to one of these guys. He's a, he was a war veteran, but he was like 25 years old, okay? Uh, been through, literally been through hell. Most of his friends had passed away, and we had just this long conversation about that and mortality and all that. And I, as I said, you know, Jesus, he, he was, how can I follow Jesus? And I go, Jesus talked about being born again. And he responded just like Nicodemus. He just looks at me over to a translator, and he goes, I'm like, no, 
No, but let me tell you about a guy who kind of had the same question. So that's what's happening here. Nicodemus is going, you have to go back into your mother's womb. Uh, I'm kind of too big for that. In verse 5, Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Verse 6, flesh gives birth to flesh, but spirit gives birth to spirit. That there are some things that you're doing, man-made, that flesh creates flesh results. But there's something spiritual, that spirit can create spiritual, supernatural results, is what he's saying. So verse 7, you should not be surprised at me saying you must be born again or must be born from above. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. What he's saying is, Nicodemus, there's so much more. You've checked the boxes. You've, you've kind of done all the things you can from a worldly, physical, flesh perspective. You're part of the most elite, powerful ruling group in the government. You're one of the most, part of the most elite, powerful group within the church. You've done all you can, but you know there's more. And it's almost like Nicodemus knew that Jesus knew that he wanted more, right? Why? Because he snuck out at night. Why else would he be coming to Jesus at night? Jesus knew that he was unsatisfied with where he was at, even though he checked all the boxes with leadership. So he says, look, the wind blows to and fro. You kind of know, you can feel it, you can experience it, but you don't know where it's coming from, you don't know where it's going. He's saying this is what it's like in the kingdom of God. What he's saying is there are some things you can feel. We experience this as well during in prayer and worship, relationship with God, there's, there's some things you can experience. But then it's part of something that is much larger than our ability to understand or explain, right? That's what he's saying. So maybe that's you. Maybe you've been part of church stuff. You've been a part of church leadership. Maybe people see you as a spiritual leader. And if you're honest, if you're honest, you feel like there's a lack of from above energy. You feel like there's a lack of uh, spirit, supernatural in your life. That you're doing good stuff. You're leading people. You're pouring into people. But it feels like it's a lot of flesh producing flesh. It feels like it's, it can be man-made. That, yeah, I, I helped that person, but, man, someone who wasn't a Christian could have given them that same advice. And as you read Scripture, as you read Jesus leading, you're going, man, I, I, want, I want there to be a supernatural component. I'm not saying I'm going to dress in white and wherever I walk, people fall over. I'm not, I'm not saying that, but I do want there to be a supernatural component to what I'm doing, or else is there a supernatural component to what I'm doing? What are we doing? Right? And this is Nicodemus. He's, he's like, I, I want there to be more. And Jesus is saying, don't you recognize that what you need, Nicodemus, is not a higher step on the ladder in your organization. What you need is from above. What's interesting is in, uh, Nicodemus appears two more times in John's gospel. The next time, it's actually pretty shocking. In chapter 7, we're not going to go into it because we don't have time, but uh, chapter 7, a few chapters later, there's, it's during the day this time, and this, the Pharisees are talking to Jesus, and they're confronting him, actually. And Nicodemus steps up. You can read in your Bible in chapter 7. Nicodemus actually steps up and defends Jesus. He broke party lines. This is unheard of, unheard of. Deeply religious, deeply patriotic, deeply aligned to his party, in a sense, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees. But he broke ranks and defended Jesus. He's saying, look, I love our nation, but I'm part of a different kingdom now. 
So he defends uh, Jesus. And then the, the part that I do want to read uh, at the end of, of, of John, it's actually in John chapter 19, and it's right after Jesus gets crucified. And it says uh, this in verse 38, it says, Later, uh, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a pretty wealthy guy. Uh, he gives him access to people of power, including, uh, including Pilate. And so Joseph goes up to Pilate and a- asks for the body of Jesus. And it goes on, it says, Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. Right? So even Joseph, even though he was wealthy, he was powerful, he had the ear of even Pilate, he was afraid of the Jewish leaders, right? Because they were even more powerful. Who's the Jewish leaders? Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, what, what, what Nicodemus was a part of, right? So with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied, verse 39, he was accompanied by who? By Nicodemus. And just so we're clear, because sometimes people have the same name, you know, like John and your buddy John and his buddy John, right? So uh, my name is Taka, and I don't really run into that a whole lot, uh, but it says that he was accompanied by Nicodemus, and just because there's any confusion of going, which Nicodemus was it, he clarifies. He says, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. It says, Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and, and aloes and 70, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with, with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the J- Jewish burial customs. What's wild is Nicodemus went from this guy who was scared to say that he even knew Jesus into this guy who was one of two people who wasn't afraid anymore. I mean, Roman soldiers were around. Was not afraid of saying, look, this is my Lord and Savior. I thought that was just awesome. So that was the first guy, Nicodemus, church leader. Absolutely transformed. And so church leader, if, you, if that's you in this room, you've been around church for a while, you've led stuff, people see you as a leader, do you feel an absence of the power of God in your life? Honestly, I'm not asking you if you attend church. I'm not asking you if you do good stuff. I'm not saying you have sin in your life. I'm just saying, do you feel like you're doing the right stuff, but it's just stuff? Do you feel like an absence of the power of God in your life and in your leadership, and you want that? You want that. You see this chasm between Scripture and what's going on in your life. And there's something inside of you that says, God, I want that. I want to move in supernatural ways as much as you would allow it. I want you to give me words of wisdom for people. I want you to, I, I, I believe in prophecy, not in weird prophecy. I'm not like, thus saith the Lord that, you know, you're going to drive a purple minivan kind of thing. You're like, I don't want a purple minivan, you know. But it's, there is prophetic in the sense of, I think God told me to tell you this. How does that sit with you? And for that person to go, I think that is God, right? So do you feel like there's an absent power of God in your life and leadership, man? Jesus invites you to pull away. Pull away from your normal. Pull away from your comfortable. That Nicodemus had to get out of his normal schedule in order to meet with Jesus, and you might need to do that too, to make time to meet with him. So first is, is that. The second person is the ex-church attendee. We know her as the Samaritan woman, right? We know that she had some connection to her people's faith because she, the language she uses, she says things like, our father Jacob or the Messiah comes. Right? She had some sort of church history, but she hasn't followed it her whole life. We don't know exactly what happened, but we know that she's, has, she's had a lot of relationship issues, right? She's had a lot of divorces, as we'll read uh, in this passage. She's had more marriages than J-Lo, literally, right? 
more rings than J-Lo. So it's kind of wild. So this is, this is the Samaritan woman. We don't know her name, uh, but we just know her as a Samaritan woman. And she's in chapter uh, 4, uh, verse 4, and it says this. starts out with, now he, Jesus, he had to go through Samaria. I do want to pause there for a second. It says he had to go through Samaria. The verse before it says that Jesus was going from Judea to Galilee. And if you guys have ever been to Holy Land, uh, that's, that's a pretty long stretch. And it says that he had to go through Samaria. Here's the reality of it. No, he didn't. He didn't. The vast majority, the vast, vast, vast majority of people that were Jewish, that would be going from Judea to Samaria, would never go, th- or Judea to Galilee, would never go through Samaria. They just wouldn't. Yet the Bible says that Jesus, and, and I, under, I underlined it and circled it in my Bible, is he had to go through Samaria. Why? Why? It, it wasn't because it was culturally acceptable. It wasn't at all. He didn't do what was convenient either. What Jesus did, he did what was missional. Even later in the chapter, the disciples would come back after he talks to this woman, and they, they, they'd go to him and say, why are you talking to her? His own disciples are saying, why are you talking? Do you know she's a Samaritan? Not only just a Samaritan, do you know her story? Why are you talking to her? So Jesus had to go to Samaria. Why? For her. For her. Because that's the only thing that happens in Samaria, is he engages with her. Because there's this lady who's alone, who's gone through some hellish situations and relationships. We'll unpack it a little bit. And Jesus wanted to make sure that she realized that God was with her, that hope wasn't lost, that she didn't have to be alone. So who are some people in your life that you need to tell that to? See, the Samaritans felt like they were hated by the Jews. Do you know why they felt that way? Because they were hated by the Jews, right? Who are some people in your life that feel like they're hated by the church, who feel like they're on the outside, but God's put you in their life? Who are some people that you just have to text? You have to build a relationship. You have to ask them out for dinner. Why? To invite them to church? No. Maybe if that happens, but because of mission. Because the Holy Spirit says, man, talk to them. Talk to them. You have to go talk because they don't know what I think about them. You have to go. You have to be God's love to them. So then it goes on, uh, verse 5. So we came to a town called Samaria. Uh, We can skip that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Jacob's well was there. It was about noon. Verse 7, uh, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Okay, it's about noon. It's been a pretty hot couple weeks here uh, in Orange County, right? I mean, hot by our standards. I mean, if you're from uh, Vegas or inland, you're like, it was breezy in Orange County the last couple weeks. But so if, if I said, hey, guys, let's go hiking at noon, be like, no, bro, right? No, I'm not going to do that, Right? Like yesterday, Natalie and some uh, girls from the church, they went hiking early. Why? Because it was hot. And so in, in Samaria, same situation. Hot. So when do women go get water? In the morning. Together. In community. It's like a little small group. They would go get water together. Right? This lady is by herself getting water in the middle of the day. Why? Why is she ostracized? Why is she by herself? Why is she getting water at a time when she knows no one else will be there? Why? Why does she feel like she has to be alone? Right? This is the person Jesus wanted to engage with. So Jesus goes up to her and says, uh, will you give me a drink? 
9, verse 9, the Samaritan woman said, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And in my Bible, in parentheses, it says, For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have gotten you living water. I don't know why Jesus talks about himself in the third person. It's a little strange, but that's what he says. He says, hey, if you knew who you were talking to, you'd ask me for living water, and I'd give you that. And then verse 11, living water, just so you understand context, Jesus is talking about in spiritual terms, which she's, when she receives living water, living water is also known as flowing water. So it's not stagnant, like stinky water, right, with like moss on it, right? It was flowing water was also known as living water. And so she's going, yeah, this well is, has living water. So she so he goes, you, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me for living water and I'd give it to you. And then she responds with, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well water is deep. Where can you get the living, this living water? Right? Uh, and he says, are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself and his sons and his livestock? Verse 13, Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Valid. But whoever drinks the water I will give them will never thirst. So he's talking about something totally different. Indeed, the water I, I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up from eternal life. That what you're looking for, lady, is something from the outside. What I want to give you is something that is inside. There's a need to quench the water, of, or, or you need water for your soul. He's talking about something totally different, much deeper. What she wants is something from the outside. So the woman says, hey, sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. And he told her, and this is where he kind of digs in a little bit. He goes, Go get your husband and come back. Now, he knows her story, right? But he wants her to reveal kind of where she's at. Go get your husband. Verse 17, I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right. You're right. In other words, you passed the test. I know, and now you know that I know, right? Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands. And the man you have, that you're, you're with now, it, it, that you now have, is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. So what he's saying is, look, I know your circumstances. I know you're a Samaritan. I know I'm a Jew. I know your backstory. I know your own people won't even hang out with you, but I came all this way to let you know you're not alone, right? We don't know the circumstances of her life. Some people said that she's like, she was uh, cheating on her husbands, and that's why she had five divorces. We have no idea. All we know is that in that time, especially with the Samaritans, divorce was extremely rare, extremely rare. The, typically, it was because of, um, well, what's, what's interesting about their whole situation is the guys could divorce the girls for any reason. The soup was too hot, whatever. Like, literally, they could divorce her for any reason, and then she would be essentially poor and destitute, right? Which is why the Bible says to take care of widows and orphans because of the structure. Anyways, one time to unpack it. The, the guys, though, um, typically, the woman could not divorce the man unless the man was dead, essentially. So we don't know what the circumstances were, but five times, five times there was death, there was abuse, there was a belittling, condescending, something, five times. To the point where the sixth guy that she's with now, she's lost hope in the, in the whole institution of marriage. Now she's just going to live with this guy, right? Hope is gone. 
This is where she's at. We can gather that she's been ostracized from her community. We can gather that she has been through the ringer in relationships. Verse 19, it says, Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place we must worship is in Jerusalem. 21, woman, Jesus replied. Uh, (laughs) Such a weird thing to say. Woman. Anyways, Jesus replied, Believe me, the time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Blah, 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 blah. Keep going. Uh, 24, I'm not saying blah, 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 which you're saying is important. I'm just saying this doesn't apply to what we're talking about today. Verse 24, God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in in, in the spirit and in truth. Verse 25, the woman said, I know that Messiah. This is where you're talking about her her church history. Somewhere along the line, she knew this. I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. That man, my mom told me stories when I was a little kid about the Messiah that would come one day and restore all things and explain why the heck things happened the way it happened. And Jesus replies in verse 26, then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, in case you're wondering, I, the one speaking, my mouth is moving, words coming out, the I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's interesting. Everything you've been looking for, lady, woman, water for your soul, Water for your soul, safety and fulfillment in relationships, everything you're looking for, it's all part of something deep within your heart that wants to connect with God. You thought it was relationships. It was not. It was something much bigger than that. Ecclesiastes 3.11 talks about how, how the, the eternity is in the heart of man, that there's something inside of you that calls out. Anytime you've seen like the, the Milky Way or you've watched the ocean sunset and there's something inside of you that thinks about eternity, why? What is that? Your golden doodle doesn't do that right? There's something inside of you that calls to deep. The Bible says as deep calls on to deep. There's something deep within us that we can't measure, and scientists will never be able to say this is where that exists, but we know it's there, right? Something deep inside of our heart calls to something deep out there somewhere. What we call God. So maybe this is you. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe at some point you drifted. Maybe you stopped going to church, Maybe you're still t- attended church, but a long time ago, your heart drifted, right? Maybe someone hurt you, and you're like, oh, I'm done with all that. Maybe you played with sin a little bit, and then you played with sin a lot of bit, right? And little by little, my old youth pastor used to say that sin will take, will take you further than you want to go and keep you longer than you want to stay, right? Maybe you played with sin, and sin began to control you. Maybe you began to choose other things over God, that you used to follow Jesus, but then you began to you know, highlight your career a little more than your relationship with God, or maybe you began to focus more on financial gain than your relationship with God, where you started to fo- focus more on applause. It was more important to you what people thought about you and getting that, that accolade from other people for them to think a certain way about you, and that became more important than your relationship with God. Maybe it was relationships. Maybe it was relationships. That you chose relationships, and a lot of times you, 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 you choose your relationships, and your relationships create you, right? And so the, I won't have time to talk about that, but there are verses that talk about that, right? So maybe you're like the Samaritan, and if, if you are, I think Jesus would say, have you found what you're looking for? You tried all that stuff. Have you found what you're looking for? Still thirsty? The thing you bought, the applause you got, the promotion you got, the upgrade, the still thirsty? Still have that thing? Still not satisfied? Jesus would say, come home. Come home. What you're looking for, I am he, he says. So how about you? You, re- you resonate with either one of these two? 
Maybe like Nicodemus, you're a spiritual leader, or people see you as a spiritual leader, but you don't feel like it all the time. You're doing good stuff. God's using you, but you know you're only scratching the surface of what God wants to do in you. You know you're only scratching the surface of what God wants to do through you, and you feel this pull to lead more from a supernatural point of view, but you're scared you don't even know what that looks like, right? The natural is a way easier to lead because it's, it's clean, it's concise, it's formulaic. There's a boldness in you that's missing. There's a spiritual component in you that's missing. And Nicodemus, like we said, had to change his routine. He had to leave his routine. He had to leave his normal. He actually had to leave his relationships. I'm not saying you need to do that, but that's what Nicodemus had to do in order to meet Jesus. You may need to, too. Some things, mean, some things may need to change in your life, your schedule, what you do, in order to create space to meet with Jesus. That if you think of the missing link, it's probably quality time with Jesus, really. Right? If you think about it, you don't need an, a new leadership book. As much as I love leadership books, you don't need the next TED-Ed talk. Well, you need to spend more time with Jesus. And some things may need to change if you want things to change. Because, you know, like they say, it's like if nothing changes, what? Nothing changes. Right? If nothing changes, nothing changes. Doesn't matter how much you pray about it. Right? Second thing is maybe you're like the Samaritan. Maybe you grew up in church, but at some point you drifted. Jesus says, come home. Don't overthink it. Don't overthink it. Right? Don't be like, oh, well, I'm not, I don't know if I'm ready. I've always, just don't overthink it. Jesus didn't shame her. Jesus didn't rehash her history. He just said he was there for her. Jesus said what, what, you're, what you're looking for, what you're looking for is not in the next purchase. It's not in the next upgrade. It's not in the next accolade. It's not in the next promotion. It's not in the next relationship. But you know that, right? Like you intuitively Know that. The next pile that you donate to Goodwill, the next garage sale, the next thing you put on Craigslist is proof that you know that. Right? Make a decision to follow Jesus. You're not joining this church. You can't join this church today. You're making a decision to follow Jesus. Nothing would make me happier than if you did make a decision to follow Jesus and attend a different church. That doesn't matter to me. The most important thing is that you follow Jesus. And for all of us, whether you align with one of those two stories or not, let's accept Jesus' invitation to follow him and to build his church. Not this church, the church. Follow him with complete abandon. That for some of us, we follow Jesus kind of, sort of. It's time to pull out the stops and follow Jesus really. Like to follow Jesus really, not with your attendance for an hour and a half once a week. I'm talking follow Jesus really. If you say you're following Jesus, but that has not impacted how you spend your time, then you're not following Jesus. If you say you're following Jesus, but that has not impact, impacted how you spend the money that God places into your hands, then you're not following Jesus. If you say you're following Jesus, but it has not affected your level of grace you have for people, the level of forgiveness you have for people, the level of love you have for people that completely disagree with you, that think totally differently than you, that annoy you, if that has not impacted your level of love and grace for them, then you're not following Jesus. I know that may be harsh, but a lot of of us go to church. We don't follow Jesus. So, I don't want, man, when I, was, when I was writing this down for this week, my, my, my biggest prayer was, God, I don't want any of this to come across with guilt or shame in any way. That's not the goal. The goal is what we talked about at the beginning. What are we trying to do here? 
what are we trying to do here? I don't want to just give you a TED Talk, tickle your ears and make you feel good about yourself and boost your self-esteem and let's go. Like, I want to follow Jesus and I want you to follow Jesus too. And I want you to feel totally welcome here if you don't decide to follow Jesus for a year. Still be a part of this thing. You belong before you believe. All right, but at the same time, if you say you're following Jesus, then follow Jesus. Or don't say it. Jesus never railed against imperfect people. Do you know who Jesus railed against over and over again? Were people that claimed to follow God but didn't, actually. He got ticked off in moments like that. And so if, you're, if you say you follow Jesus, then just do it. Do it. And make sure your time and your finances and your talents and your level of grace and humility look a lot like Jesus. And if not, then you know the next area you can pray on, pray about and work on, right? And then you know the next area where you can go, Holy Spirit, I need your help with this. Because I don't know why I look so differently than you in this area, but I do. And I need your help. And that's where God can engage with us. All right, let me pray for us. God, I just thank you. God, I thank you for your grace because we're all, man, we all fall short. God, I pray, would you build us up? Would you lead us into a thriving relationship with you? Would this house be a house of prayer? Would this house be a house of grace and love and humility? But would it also be a house of truth? God, I pray that the, when we preach the word, that we would, it would be like a mirror that we would look at and see where our hairs are out of place, where things need to be fixed. God, I pray, would you help us to look more and more like you so that when people meet us, they are drawn to you. That's what we want, God. And so we submit it to you, God. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen.